0: The
1: with your host DJ Rome. Hey, welcome to the program, everybody! You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. Oh my goodness, we got a jam-packed show. Oh my goodness, y'all happen to catch some of that uh, commencement address over the weekend by President Barack Obama, our forever president. Uh, We're gonna be talking about that a little bit this evening as well. Oh, but we have some amazing um, tributes to get to this evening, ladies and gentlemen, and a singer-songwriter keyboard is joining us for the very first time, so let's break it on down, y'all. You ready? All right, Uh, we lost recently Little Richard Betty Wright and andre harrell and to help me have our respectful tributes to these amazing artists we have james porter coming back out of chicago illinois he's a radio show host out there and we have singer songwriter keyboardist sharon harris she's going to be breaking down the life and times of the great andre harrell so that's coming up this evening and i'm very very proud to welcome this guest her name is bunny Harts. bunny Harts is a keyboardist a classically trained keyboardist singer-songwriter. She has a project that's out now and available, and she's actually a bandmate of our guest's last week, The Rugged. And uh, Bunny has been on tour with the legendary guitarist Jesse Johnson from the time, and she's been playing also with Brown Mark of the Revolution. So Bunny Hearts is here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be having a good time with her. And speaking of the president, uh, we have some addresses to get to. He uh, had an amazing commencement address to both the national high school graduates, as well as HBCU. So we're gonna be talking a little bit about those commencements this evening and featuring some snippets from the HBCU commencement address. So that's our show. So you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with our first guest, Mr. James Porter, after this. Yes, we are back. KCWG, the The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And we have had, as we've been talking about, we there, there's been so many major losses some at the hands of this coronavirus, but just in terms of the the stream of losses that we've had recently, including Andre Harrell, Betty Wright, and of course, the legendary Little Richard. Well, they've been been coming in such rapid succession that it's been really challenging to uh, keep up with all this. But I want to talk about uh, some more tributes with uh, guests on the line right now. He's out of Chicago. And uh, he's got some poignant sentiments to share about the uh, the life and times of uh, the late great Little Richard. Maybe we could do a little Betty right as well. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Mum School, the good brother, Mr. James Porter. Mr. Porter, are you there? Hello, Radio Land. <laughs> How you doing? Welcome back, good brother. Of course, James Porter was here when we paid tribute to the late great funkadelic P-funk artist Pedro Bell. So I'm really happy to have you back, good brother. Uh, I think you were also a fan of The Architect of rock and roll, the late, great Richard Penniman.
2: Little Richard. You know it. You know it. Good yeah. brother.
1: What can you tell us about the impact of this loss, my brother?
2: Okay, I'll tell you what. I understood from the age of six, there was a movie called Let the Good Times Roll. And it was a movie which documented like a rock and roll revival uh, concert that happened like in, uh, I think it happened in 72, but the movie came out in 73. And my dad took the whole family out to see this movie at the, uh, at a drive-in. When it came out, you know, and it was a great movie from start to finish. But there were like three performers in there who, like, stood head and shoulders over everybody else Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and Little Richard. Come and on. Uh, those guys put on a show. And thinking about those guys is that even though it was an oldies concert, those three men didn't treat it as like an oldies thing. It was like a happy days, remember when type situation they were playing like, you know, solid rock and roll that like, you know, competed with whoever was hot that year. You know, and um, they were like the three architects, I mean, Lil' Rich was the architect, I'm not taking away from him, but it's like, to me it's like three men who were like, you know, definitely like, you know, I'm writing, a, as you know, I have a book coming out about black rock and roll, African-American rock and roll performers. Yes. And I think that those guys in the 50s, those guys were at the center of it back when rock and roll was still defining itself, Chuck Boe Richard. Now, in the case of Richard, um, now the other two played guitar, Richard played the piano. He did a lot to establish that instrument as a, as a rock and roll instrument, as a rock and roll instrument. And he didn't, you probably heard the story about how he started out basically like just a jump blues singer, you know, in a field of many, right? you know, and he sounded good, but he wasn't sounding totally different from anybody else on the scene, you know? And so he's, he's doing some session, you know, for specialty records and, uh, Evidently, um, evidently, I mean, one blues song after another, none of really standing out. So they take a break, you know, and everybody from the musicians all the way down to producers and engineers, they're kind of wondering what could they do live just join up. So Lil' Richard, while the tapes are not rolling, Little Richard gets on the piano and starts singing for himself, tutti Fruity, good booty, tutti Fruity, good booty, woo You know, and everybody's like, wait a minute, what the hell is that? Right. You know, so next thing you know, that like somebody kind of figured if they clean this up, they could have a hit, you know, and that kind of like laid template for a new style. He kind of hit on that. That was what he was doing, like you know, after hours like in strip clubs. But um, on record, he was like you know, totally orthodox jump blues at the time. Not bad, you know. But had he continued in that vein, he wouldn't be considered the legend that he is. But he came out that tutti frutti business, and like the next couple of years on the specialty label, at least until he found God, he came. Um, yeah, like a whole good run there, you know, for uh, from 50, roughly 55. So I want to say 57, 58. Yeah. And uh, it's like, I mean, it's enough imagining Lil Richard in the context of today. But in the context of like the 50s, I mean, it's like even by R&B standards, by black standards, he was wild. But he crossed over pop. You know, he was like one of the first, you know, um, black rock and rollers to really uh, make it. You know, yeah. and it's like, it's one thing, it's like, in nineteen fifty five rock and roll was still i mean not rock and roll was still like you know uh god i don't I don't know what to say here, but it was like it hadn't really, it was out there, but there wasn't it wasn't really blitzing the market like it would like a year or two later you know when everybody else was kind of still sort of like a a sort of like hit parade middle of the road kind of deal just selling all these mild pop songs like you know a patty page or a Mitch Miller or whoever and out comes Lil' Richard you know, this totally androgynous black man, you know, and depending on how much makeup you used that day, you know, it's like you couldn't tell whether he was white either, you know, or white or black, let alone male or female. Right. So it's like a blah bop blue bop blah bamboo mess, and uh, that kind of knocks everybody on, flat on the floor, you know, and um, yeah. to his credit, even though he's taken the, he took the occasional hiatus, you know, to devote his time to religion, you know, but didn't take long to bounce back.
3: You know, he was, like,
2: very concerned, particularly in the early 70s, maybe, when the whole when there was, like, a whole boom for, like, you know, there was a whole nostalgic boom for 50s rock and roll. You know, when the oldies reviews came out, Lil' Rich also found himself being booked, like, regular rock festivals as well. He tells a story about, like, playing these gigs with people like Janis Joplin, you know, and he's, and the audience, Lil' Rich was thinking that the audience is thinking that, because by that time, you know, times change quicker back in those days you know it's like i mean nowadays 10 years is no time back then 10 years may as well have been a whole century so if somebody was big in the 50s by the time you get around to 69 7 you kind of figure, okay if they were big in the 50s that must mean like they're an old man with a cane hobbling out here on stage be able to remember the lyrics but no he came out there wearing like you know the bell bottoms you know and the tight outfit you know and the big old wig. You know, and he's like, you know, hopping and screaming all over the stage, telling people to shut up, jumping up on the piano, taking his best off and throwing it out in the audience and watching people scramble for it. I mean, (laughs) he kind of showed people that, you know, he still had some good, years left. You know, I I mean, if you go on on YouTube, you know, and if you look for any clips of uh, Little Richard, you know, I mean, there's like several clips of Little Richard on somebody's TV show, you know, and I'd say like nine times out of ten you know, he's camping up and making the most of the moment, making sure that nobody forgets who little Richard is or was. And oh, was um,
1: One of a kind, man. I mean, that's, talk that's about what we're talking record. about him now, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when I was coming up in the 70s, that was the first time I had heard about him with a song called Freedom Blues. That was my first inter- introduction to his voice, that 45. record, yeah. house, You know, and that was not a yeah. rock and roll record. But I had, at that point, of course, no uh awareness of his contribution prior to that. Uh he was truly an original man. Uh remember the times when he was talking about um man, I've been rocking and rolling for all these years. Y'all ain't never gave me no award and you know, <laughs> I came for all of that, you know, before the Beatles We've all seen before, the Stones, up, yeah. before all these people you guys giving acknowledgements Dude, when y'all gonna give Little Richard an award. Uh do you feel like that respect is uh being properly credited now uh, in lieu of his passing?
2: I think it is. I think it is. I mean, he's, I mean, I mean, it was like literally, I mean, you know, I heard about the death. I remember I just woken up. Okay. And a friend of mine called me, uh, it was a Saturday. So I guess it would have been like maybe 1130 noon, maybe, you know, and first thing I do when I finally come to, uh, my cell phone rings. And then my friend tells me, uh, James, have you heard about Lil rich? I'm like, no. He's like, you know, and then I turned on my computer, and you know how it is like before you get to anything they're going to show you the daily news. What do I see? a big color photo of little Richard, and yeah. I think we all know what that means yep, yeah, but he yeah. he led a full life so he can't be too sad
1: that's yeah. right, and people were uh, relieved in many ways to see him really returning, if you will to to his roots, his gospel, wanting to get closer to God and making his reckonings with uh, his life and his, uh, his example that he was setting for others. I mean, he really wanted to make sure that his soul was right. And I think some people have definitely taken some comfort in that. Uh, we're talking to James Porter, y'all, about the life and times of the late great Little Richard. Uh, we lost him, y'all. Uh, he's uh, made that transition to that uh, good rock and roll band in the sky. And uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna continue to be celebrating him as the days go on. We have uh, Sharon Harris coming in to talk to us about Andre Harrell. But while I have you here, good brother, we also lost soul singer Betty Wright. Betty Wright. That
2: was too much for the room, man. I mean, wow. Man, you
1: know, they, they say they kind I, had, in three I just gotten through ugh. a few
2: weeks later seeing her episode of Unsung.
1: <laughs> right. Know? And right. it really
2: made her look like she had a few more years left in her. But now it, I find isn't
1: out. It just, yeah. yeah, exactly. Same here, man. I mean, I was tripping off of that episode as well with my wife, and she looked so full of life. She looked happy. She looked. Uh, with 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 all her capacity and full energy there, uh, I'd have. Oh, Betty a
2: Wright! All Betty Wright always had like this mischievous grin, you know. No matter <laughs> what, I mean, the, I mean, no, all the photos of her from the '60s on up. I mean, she was always like grinning, like she was up to something. And when I saw that episode on song, when yeah. she showed you know Betty Wright as she appears today, I mean, you really did get it sounds like, like a cliche, but I mean, she's been involved in the music business, not just doing like her oldies on cruise ships, but also like as a vocal coach and a background singer and a producer and all this, yes. you know, you really did get the impression that, you know, she had a few more years left in her. She, sure did, did. she had a full life too, but you kind of get the impression that, you know, you could have gave her some more. Absolutely. You know?
1: So this yeah. is another artist for me that I came up on the scene when they had already made a major, I mean, after, well after they had made a major contribution to music already. So I came around, around during the, uh, the Tonight is the Night Live version era, all right? Yeah. And so for mm-hmm. years, I didn't even know there was a studio version of Tonight is the Night, because that live version was was so resonant and made such an impact. I remember listening to that version on the way to school when I was bused uh, back in the day as a child, being, you know, part of- Exactly, the yeah. And everything. They, everybody was playing that record almost every day on Black radio stations in California, anyway, from what I can remember. But Chicago, already, I didn't believe Oh, Chicago too? Okay, so oh, she had oh, already
2: wide Betty Wright was like major, you know?
1: Major. I mean, out of Florida. I mean, she and Harry Casey, we came to understand, had a big uh, uh, role in her uh, getting out there. But she had hits like Clean Up Woman, No Pain, No Gain, After the Pain. Uh, she came to have an incredible, indelible imprint on you know contemporary singers or later singers, I would say, such as Angie Stone. And so... She had a prowess and the the equivalent of nine lives, like you said, because I saw her on that episode of uh, uh, making the band on um, uh, MTV when Diddy was trying to Mm -hmm. find for his female uh, vocal group, and right there putting it down, just dropping wisdom. You know how this is how you hit them high notes. This is what you do. It's like breathing. Mm -hmm. You could do it. It's like breathing, baby. It's like and then she would just hit the sky with her voice. (laughs) I mean, make it sound effortless, (laughs) make it sound effortless. She said it was just like exercise. It was just like breathing. Thank you for bearing with me as I, you know, got myself together so I could have this conversation with you. You talked briefly about a book you have coming out. Uh, What can you tell us further about that before we let you go?
2: Okay. The book is going to be called, um, tentatively called anyway, uh, Wild in the Streets, Tales from Rock and Roll's Negro Leagues. And it's basically about like African-Americans in the field of rock and roll. Not R&B, not blues, but rock and roll. Even though a lot of people, you know, asked to draw a stick figure of a rock star it's like a white guy with long blonde hair. It was a black creation, you know. And ever since then, there have been a lot of black artists who like walk on the rock and roll side street, like Jimi Hendrix's and your Arthur Lees or what have you, you know. But but because of that, you know, they're kind of considered like you know, I don't want to say tokens, but you know, sort of like you know, blacks in the field of whites. And I just interviewed a bunch of the more obscure people, more obscure people in that field, you know, for their take on that. And hopefully that should be released by, uh, Northwestern Euro- Northwestern university press next year. And I hope by that time we can go outside again and go to bookstores. <laughs>
1: Come on with it. Well, will you let us know when you got that book ready so we can, uh, bring you back?
2: You'll be the first to know.
1: Okay. I appreciate that. That's James Porter, y'all out of Chicago. Thank you, good brother. This is KCWG, the truth.com program's called psychotic Bum school. My name is DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more y'all. We'll be right back after this. Yes, we are back. KCWG, truth.com. The The name of this program is Psychotic Mom School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, recently we have just been barraged with a series of high-profile losses in the world of entertainment that are of tremendous value and consequence to the African-American community and the community of music in general. Uh, Among them, of course, was uh, the late great Andre Harrell, founder of Uptown Records, and the mentor to so many artists that we know today, that we know, love, and celebrate uh, to this very minute. So uh, to help me put this into context, the life and career of Mr. Andre Harrell, I'm proud to welcome back Ms. Sharon Harris. Sharon, how you doing?
4: I'm doing great. How are you, Ron?
1: Oh, I'm doing well, doing what I can. We have been, um, unfortunately, losing people. Now, to my understanding as of this recording, I don't think he succumbed, to coronavirus, but I believe it was heart failure, if I have that correctly. But nevertheless, it's still an unexpected, I mean, especially in that regard, it's really unexpected. What can you tell us about uh, what the life and career of Andre Harrell meant to you publicly, career-wise, creatively, and maybe even personally? Ms. Sharon Harris.
4: Well, Andre was like, for us at that point, he was like Barry Gordy. He was somebody who gave the artist a lot of attention. He was supportive in terms of grooming. He, he had a sense of what to do, and nobody was really doing it to that level at that point. And this is going back to the 80s. This is kind of like um, the late 80s. And um, I met Andre through Albie Shore, and um like Al and Kyle West and Heavy D and Jeff Red and a lot of the artists that came through uptown, um, I'm from Mount Vernon, New York, and oh. um, and Al would Al was working on a record deal. He was like, you know, I gotta record these songs, and he was just really driven to do it. And um, and he and Kyle were writing a lot and um, and the way that I came into play was not only was I, I'm a little bit older than them and a musician, so I was kind of in the mix with them, but I also had a car, and I was also able to drive to Brooklyn, (laughs) where Andre's office was. So um, there were a lot of times where, you know, we would get into the car, we'd drive out to Uptown, Um, Teddy Riley would be with us sometimes, and, um, you know, we were all kids, just trying to to get a hold of a dream, and Andre was really, he was kind of leading that. He just had the foresight. I mean, he wasn't much older than me, but he already had some experience in the music industry, and um, I was just getting out of college at that point, so just to see somebody who just kind of was in the game and knew it, it was, it really had an impact on me, Um, but he just like amassed this operation that was incredible. And I think at, at one time, I remember his office being, he had a brownstone in Brooklyn. And I remember when you walked in, the office was right there. And I think he was living downstairs. And then at some point it flipped and because he was expanding. And, um, you know, he was just taking these artists under their wing and under his wing and nurturing them. He had already you know, Heavy was blowing up at that time, which was really awesome. And um, and everybody saw what Heavy was doing. So it was like, you know, and then Jeff Red was coming into the mix. Um, you know, Al was working on his thing. And with Al, he um, was working on getting a record deal with Warner Brothers at that point. And, um, you know, Andre was just really, he saw, the um the potential in people he had a he was a man of great vision um even back then it was just incredible his drive and uh i mean i, I could only liken it maybe to a russell simmons but you know or to russell simmons um and, and his crew which focused more on rap you know, but Andre was really into not only rap, but how do you take it to the next level and how do I bring other artists in and where do I go from there? And um, so just to watch him maneuver and grow. And, uh, you know, I just remember these parties that he would have, and he was just always so pleasant and, you know, but you always knew that there was something going on in his head. He was always thinking. He was very particular about style. Um, You know, so I just really appreciated him for his vision and for just being such an example. And um, he was, you know, just very strategic also. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it got him really far. I was always proud when I heard about something that he was doing. And it it was kind of like, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Well, I mean, he he really did very well, but he seemed to be doing things that he really loved doing. He wasn't afraid of heavy lifting, and he was always willing to give advice, and uh, he was always very nurturing. Um, I, I shared a photo with you of us. of It was Andre and I and another musician, and we were on, uh, we had just finished, I think we had just finished playing... The BET Soundstage with Albie Shore when the when he first um, came out with his album and it was he took us all out to dinner in D.C. and you know got us all down. I mean it was really amazing. Um, everything that he was showing us, you know, as young people because we were still trying to figure it out. Um, but he had figured it out already. Mm. And, um, yeah, so what
1: did it- you figure out, because I, 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 really appreciate you sharing that photo with me because it's, it's historic in hindsight and what he brought to the game was definitely something of, um, you know, I, I can understand the comparison to Russell Simmons. Andre though, with this hybrid of hip hop and soul that he brought in, bringing in the likes of, you know, tapping into people like you and obviously Diddy and ultimately Mary J Blige. Uh, he had a distinguished sort of tracking that neatly parallels what uh, Russell Simmons was doing. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? How did his contribution specifically change the landscape of the way R&B music sounded?
4: Well, I think Teddy Riley was really the answer to that. Mm. And Teddy was this kid living in Harlem in the projects, Um, From what I remember, his mother was a musician. I want to say his mother played guitar and maybe a few other instruments. And he really, I think, helped to capture that sound. You know, there were a lot of kids coming from the church who loved to sing secular music. Um, You know, Jeff Redd being one of them. And I, I was just listening to one of his tracks and it was like music was beginning to take a different approach you know, the vocals were taking a different approach. And it was really a time of creating a a, a timestamp, really. Um, You know, Mary J. Blige, nobody was singing like her. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody was singing like Jodeci. You know, with with, um, the Hall brothers, nobody was singing like them.
1: How were they singing? Can you you go further with that? How were they singing? What was there before they came along and Andre brought them to the forefront? And um, what, what did they bring? I think there there was a
4: rawness that they brought that, you know, in terms of their phrasing, in terms of the tone of their vocals, mm-hmm. in terms of their riffs, um, people, singers weren't riffing like that, mm-hmm. really. And it was just, it, there was just a hardness. And especially when Teddy, Teddy brought so much musically to the table in terms of his beats, in terms of how he was laying his music um, you know, really infusing heavy gospel uh overtones into r and b singing from the heart um, I mean it was really it it really changed the shape of music, the whole new jack swing it's like you know how do you even coin that name, <laughs> which is amazing to me um and then Al brought something a lot different, you know heavy d brought something. Um, a lot different, and because when you look at somebody like a heavy D and you look at Run DMC, and we're also looking at where we were culturally in terms of um, where we grew up, where Run DMC they were part of a Queens, you know, that the group in Queens, and here we were in Mount Vernon, and you know, so the swagger that heavy D brought was a lot different. Um, but it's it's just like having the foresight to recognize, wow, I have something here. I have something really unique here. He was, Andre was just the master of of that. He really was. Mm -hmm. You know, no, I can't really think of anybody else, um, in recent years, other than when you look at, of course, you know, you have Babyface, you have Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who were more of producers and came from more of a musical background and, um, but to really be able to find a bunch of artists and develop them and to say, you know, this is what I need, or this is it, that's not it. Pair them with different producers that that you know are hit makers. Um, It was like there was something in the water, especially that he had tripped onto in Mount Vernon um, with so many different artists coming up, but there was also an encouragement and an encouragement for a hustle that had never been seen. And, um, you know, and I remember even talking to Kyle West one time and Kyle said to me, you know, I just kind of want to quit and go back to school and play football. And I was like, are you nuts? You guys are doing something really incredible here. And I'm glad that he didn't quit because when he finished Al's album, that was one of the most historic albums of the period that we were in.
1: In effect mode.
4: Yeah, in effect mode. That was a wonderful, it was, it was just great. And I mean, Al, of course, had tons to do with it because there was a, Andre was very, uh, and, and he was persistent, but he also had his intention aligned. So there was a fire under him and you know there was a drive under him and that, whatever he had was contagious.
1: He's left an indelible mark and he's sorely sorely going to be missed. Uh, Sharon I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, anything you can update us on about uh, what you have coming up soon? Um,
4: what I have right now is I have a new website called Sharon Shares um, and it's life hacks to level up. I get I'm, I'm asked about uh, people are always asking me for advice they're asking me to connect Um, They're asking me about my favorite things, so I decided to start a website called Sharon Shares. I will eventually put in um, some blogs, so I do a lot of blogging, um, and I will be writing some blogs about my experience growing up in the music industry and becoming a musician and transitioning careers, relocating to California, Um, so a lot of great information, so that will be at SharonShares.com.
0: Hey everybody, this is Buddy Hearts and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
1: Yes, we are back. KCWGthetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome and I am very, very excited to have this next guest. Now, y'all were here for the last ride last week. We had uh, her bandmate on last week. Uh, He goes by the name of The Rugged, and we had a really, really good time talking with him. But uh, he has this incredible bandmate, and she's here this time. So she's an amazing keyboard player, singer, songwriter, she does it all herself, and she has a whole multitude of talents that I don't even know if we're going to have time to get to during the course of this one conversation, but we're here to talk some music, and I am so excited that she's here. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time the Psychotic Bump School keyboardist, singer, songwriter, Miss Bunny Hearts. Bunny, are you there?
0: Yes. Thank you for having me. It's oh. really an honor to be here.
1: Oh, we are so overjoyed to have you here. You have been... All up in the <laughs> purple realm of the spirit of this show, for sure. So you fit right in. I mean, this this is what we do and how we do. And you represent why we do the show. So, oh, that's nice. Oh, my God. You, you are somebody we definitely want to talk to. So take us back, if you can, when you were first exposed to keyboards. What was your first experience like when you first touched hand to keyboard? What would that experience like for you?
0: Oh, uh, you know it's a long story but Uh, i'll give you the short uh version of it and because it starts it started when i was five years old Uh and um piano lessons of course Mm. and i and i think my mother uh, was living her dream through me to be a concert pianist or something so you know most most people start (laughs) piano lessons probably like you know in there, 10, 11 or whatever, but I started at five years yeah. old, barely in school.
1: That's pretty it's, young.
0: I was pretty young, yeah. What? So um, classical training with a uh, with a classical pianist herself, a professor. Um, and wow. so she five years me. Old? Yeah, <laughs> at Ooh. five years old. So I remember being like seven or eight years old, being woken up in the middle of the night by my parents. Wake up, wake up. So I want you to play Chopin. I'm like, what, why, why? And so uh-huh. <laughs> come to find out their friends are up and they're having a party and they want, they wanted to show off their seven-year-old daughter playing mm. Chopin or, or Mozart or something. So I hated uh-huh. my mom for it, you know, oh, like yeah. hey, hate is a strong word, but um, you don't really appreciate that until later in life that these, those, it's, it's a gift, a rare gift that when you have parents who really, truly want you to be great and um, and yeah. saw potential. And I just, you know, just, they just had me in that. I was going to be a classical concert pianist. <laughs> Is it
1: by hook or by <laughs> yeah, foot? Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Did you take to it naturally, though? I mean, how easy did the, the music of Mozart and Chopin come to you? Was that an easy thing for you to pick up?
0: Yeah, I think I had a natural dexterity for it in the retention. You know, like I said, at age um, seven and eight, I was already playing Mozart. I was playing um, advanced, uh, advanced grade uh, difficulty. Um, I was entering competitions and winning them at age 12, at age, at around that age, even before I was a teenager, I was already the, uh, uh, you know, the choir pianist or something like that. Oh, uh wow. the uh pianist for the church so a church a lot of church mm. a lot of um uh choir accompaniment so um, mm. well everybody else was either you know adults or teens i was like the the little teeny preteen <laughs> accompanying the whole choir right.
1: um yeah you know i've heard from uh other musicians who've been on the show that gospel or church musicians don't get enough credit because yeah. I'm told that some of the dopest musicians you'll ever want to see are playing in church on Sunday. I mean, we're not obviously gathering for church right yes. now, but you can develop some serious playing chops yeah. playing in church. Uh, how rich was that experience for you to to play in church every weekend?
0: Oh, well, it definitely, you know, there's two different types of uh, church musician. You have mm-hmm. the gospel musicians, you know, of course, who are very well into the classic gospel or modern gospel. I have a lot of friends like that. They're super dope, super dope. And you know, as you know, a lot of our R&B music and hip hop and uh, a lot of the modern uh, sounds and harmonies came from gospel. And so um, if you think about Ray Charles and he was always talking about he he just basically changed the lyrics to a lot of the gospel songs that they, you know, oh, yeah. that, that he was writing. So like gospel musicians, definitely dope. But I came from the, um, from the school of uh, fundamentalist church mm-hmm. uh, musicians, where um, you had to be able to uh, sight read. So sight read, mm-hmm. reading um, everything from the hymnals to, music uh, from concertos to whatever it is. Uh, if They want you to accompany a symphony. Um, I was very, very well-versed in, in, in sight reading at a very young age so that if somebody wanted to sing something or um, uh, wanted to, you know, for a choir or a, some kind of cantata, you know, here, play this. So wow. that was, that's that type of musicianship that I was exposed to.
1: That's intense because <laughs> once upon a time I played guitar and I actually took lessons and I was studying some classical uh, composers. Yeah. Uh, in the world of guitar, uh, there's this composer named Franz Liszt. <L-I-S-2>
0: oh I- yeah. yeah.
1: So the thing with that dude, I, I mean, his chord structures, you had to really stretch because he yeah. loved to layer notes in a way that really tested the very uh i'll use your word dexterity of your your grip on, on the fret yeah. because the chords were so spread out so it's crazy so chopin mozart yes. Uh, yes. gospel you've had a yeah. lot of musical influence coming up i mean a lot of things that are considered sort of traditional
0: exactly uh,
1: resources to get you ready for your playing you know in in, in real time i mean I, for the lack of a better term When did you start to incorporate all of that into playing in bands? You were directing the church choir from the piano, so how soon after that did you start playing in bands?
0: Uh, Well, um, through high school, and um, I was also the the pianist for the the, uh, high school uh, choir, and Mm. then went to college and just basically Pursued a career, you know, like, even though my parents were really heavily into, like, making sure that the music was there, you know, by the way, they also pushed me through um, guitar lessons and classic music theory. And so, like, with all that going on, I had to finish college. It just was a must. It's, like, in our family. So, um, if you didn't do it. So, That was the goal as soon as I, uh, you know, finished um, high school, straight to college, finished a degree and, um, you know, it just kind of, life just kind of took a turn into that and, you know, living and stuff and the music stuff just wasn't important anymore. And it didn't come about until I, you know, fast forward, like I said, long story short, I met met the Rugged and I I met the Rugged at this wonderful dive, Lounge in Rialto called. Um, it used to be called uh, jazz, the, the Alley Cat Jazz Club. Now it's mm-hmm. called Raquel's. Okay. I met him there, and um, he and I needed a I needed a bass player for a band that I was trying to put together. Mm-hmm. And so he came to my house and for the rehearsal, and then because I was uh, I was the lead singer. I wasn't playing keys. I had a keyboard player. And so I was uh, trying to show the keyboard player, you know, he, he didn't know the chord structure to the song that we were doing. I said, no, it's like this, it's going to go like this, like this. Mm-hmm. And so I got back into the mic so that, you know, we could rehearse. And So he was like subbing for uh, a bass it And then he told me later on that that's when he said, aha, she's a mm-hmm. keyboard player, <laughs> well,
3: Operation
0: Steel Bunny from this band. So, uh, fast forward, I became a keyboardist for Official Biz, the band, and that was 10 years ago, and and I was baptized in the funk, so to speak, and I learned a lot from all the musicians that came through, you know, because my style of playing was very classical, very jazzy, very... R&B ish smooth and so I had to be exposed to a lot of these really super dope musicians that came through that were super funky And I just absorbed everything from everybody wow. um, Everybody that came through Because um, you know the rugged likes to have two keyboardists a lot of times and um, mm. most of the, a lot of the times uh, There's two keyboardists in the band is it, official business known. This band is known for a full funk sound wow. and, and and we evolved to a production group. So now Official Biz is not, is not just a band, it's a, it's, it's a production group where we call ourselves Official Biz Music.
1: That's what's up. Yeah. So you stem from a long line of funk keyboardists who have been on this show, uh, Bunny Hart. So wow. just to give you an example of the company that you're in, I didn't have the privilege of meeting the late great Bernie Worrell, but uh-huh. your story reminds me of him for this reason. When he first oh. played with Funkadelic in the late '60s, early '70s, and he, you know, George Clinton plucked him out of wherever he plucked him from. He, Eddie Hazel and uh, Billy Bass Nelson, and they uh, wow. created this thing called Funkadelic. And then I remember a story where Bernie Worrell or Bernard Worrell at that time. Uh, was playing this crazy view, but he was a classical, he was classically trained. I mean, Bernie yeah. Worrell was no joke. He was yeah. the last, ooh, even back then, but he, even, oh my gosh, yeah. he had his music teacher attend one of his concerts with Funkadelic. And he just recalls and reflects back that his teacher was really proud of him. He was like, man, I hear the things that we taught in what you were playing. Now that's crazy because you know how experimental Funkadelic was. Yeah. So I'm just wondering What else shaped your playing? Because, okay, so again, (laughs) on this show, we had the great David Lee Spradley. Now, Uh that name rings a bell, ladies and gentlemen. David Lee Spradley is the author of Uh the classic funk jam called Atomic Dog. And so he broke down his process for writing that song and what it did for him as a keyboard player, also coming from a classically trained background.
3: Nice. So you
1: think about some of your keyboard influences, mm-hmm. I threw some names at you uh, before, but who comes to mind when you think about uh, the artists, the, the, the players, whether they are out front leading a band or playing in studio sessions, who are some of the influences that you would say had the most influence on the way that you play?
0: Oh, it, it would be like such a, big variety. I mean, um, I would say uh, while I was coming up every, every time I heard any kind of jazz piano, I would just be, it would evoke this emotion because, you know, classical uh, playing or classical uh, style is very precise. You have to, you have to write, I mean, you have to play what is written on the notes and if you veer from it, it's called a false note. Mm. It's just basically in the way you interpret or hit the note or, possibly make it like a little bit more legato or staccato but it's still the note has to the notes have to be correct uh and so that made it really that makes it rigid for you if you ever have to transition into um, r&b or gospel or even funk you have to not think in those terms so i guess what i was saying is that if you know when my finger would hit like a wrong note but then it creates this jazzy chord I mm-hmm. just like you know I love that but then you know then you get the ruler hit on your hand
3: from uh-huh. a teacher
0: at a young age so so it's like that's wrong so it just like really was um, forbidden mm. for you to to create different things um, apart from what's written in the score mm. and so um, when it finally came to when I, I felt a little freer to expand and I was listening to people like Bob James. Uh, and uh, love oh my gosh, you know, and uh, also uh, rest in peace, uh, Joe Sample. Oh
1: so, yeah,
0: uh, you know from the Crusaders, uh, yes. Carmel. Those I just have those and on repeat in my headphones, like all mm. through all through college, all through you know uh, my past years, and to this day, I'm just like a jazz head when piano. When I love Alex Bougnon. Mm. Uh, Jeff Lorber
3: just oh, yeah. super
0: dope like ch- choices mm-hmm. um, and then mo- and the most contemporary one now that I really uh, admire is Robert Glasper Absolutely, you know? um, there's just nobody that can compare I just like bow down I just can't and, um, but I have to also give props to the people that I really do work for there that, that I think um, super dope that I, uh, that in the, in and of themselves that, uh, in their own right have, you know, done some major things like Kenneth Crouch. Um, Kenneth mm. Crouch is the uh, nephew of Andre Crouch. Okay. And so he's, uh, he's a, he's a wonderful jazz pianist and gospel pianist. And also, uh, has helped me. he's a friend of mine. And, uh, he's also written for Mariah Carey and, you know, he's like written for all these major stars, like you name it, like DJ Quick, uh, mm. he's everywhere. Brandy, uh, mm. so they call on him a lot to like write for them. Um, Leila Hathaway He's worked with uh, Rochelle Farrell. So I, I'm lucky enough to know him and I pick his brain every time. And then so every once in a while, I'll, I'll tell him, you know, after he showed me some stuff, I'll call him up and i say, I broke the code, I know what you mean now. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> and so I you know that I really appreciate him is a great pianist and I think he's working on uh on a project too also Doc Spang, Rodney Thomas um uh-huh. he is uh he he was uh one of the producers that produced our album uh Official Biz uh, Official Biz Independence last hmm. year okay. and he he is a Grammy nominated artist he he produced for Charlie Wilson and uh, um yes. Yeah, and he's written and he's, uh, you know, worked with uh, LL Cool J and so many other people, a Funkadelic too. You mentioned Funkadelic, some of the Funkadelic people, mm-hmm. um, Miles Davis. So I oh. had the benefit of working with him in official biz as uh, a band member when we would go out and gig and, and he taught me a lot. So I have to give him some props. So, so those are my influences.
1: Absolutely. You've had some great people pouring into you. This is KCW, yes. the, the name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And we're chatting for this one with the amazing Bunny Hearts, keyboardist, singer, songwriter, and member of official biz, Music. So, uh, wow, you that's a pretty vast little resume. And yeah, with, with influences like that, you really cannot go wrong. So when you're playing... And uh, we are gonna talk about some of your, your, your latest projects right now because there, there's so many things I wanna talk to you about. But how do you fit that into a, a band format? Because I'm, I'm guessing that when you compare playing in the studio as you have and playing live, which we're gonna talk about as we go along, um, how, in what ways do you have to adjust your playing given all the, the musical influences that you have? Uh, can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Sure. Which, which is very relevant, you know when you ask that question because I'm also a studio musician for myself and my uh, music group, and so we do record in studio and is it's a lot different you know there's a uh, definite um, a little bit more comfort in this uh, you know the comfort of your studio where you can always oh, scratch that you know or mm-hmm. uh, not that I don't want it here or um, hey, I want to recreate." a i don't have a guitar player i I, let me let me pull up my uh my my patch from contact five native instrument they they have this patch called evolution jazz guitar and so uh so i'm playing the keys but it's playing guitar but it has a really like the technology is so great right now that it actually emulates the guitar so beautifully like the strumming of a guitar player and it won't allow you to hit notes on the keyboard that the guitar player wouldn't be able to because it's a different, um, you know, placement of the finger on the on the frets as opposed yeah. to in the keyboard. So it translates. So there's that. You know, we use technology to try to emulate uh, instruments, um, mm. but live is a totally different animal. I, I really miss it. You know, with this whole COVID yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. um, It's it's such a rush, and every single time I get, I still get goosebumps just sitting there and just watching people's faces and, and, and if you're hitting a note, cause it, it you know, music, live music evokes a lot of great emotions, and happiness mm. for people. And when I see that, I still to this day get goosebumps. So it's
1: well, kind
0: yeah. of nerdy, but yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's real though. So yeah. I'm guessing, Bunny Hearts, that people get goosebumps watching you play with your band.
0: Oh, uh-huh. yeah.
1: I just happened to so. be privileged enough to see a jam session with the Rugged in yourself when you yeah. played with the other uh, basis of the Revolution, Brown Mark. Now, you weren't on camera oh for gosh. that one, but I heard it and I heard the entire clip and it was oh absolutely goodness. amazing. So from your vantage point, Bunny Hearts, yeah, uh, in what ways could you enjoy or excuse me, explain what what it was like for you to play with your musical heroes. He was one of your heroes. We've been talking about several, but you've had a chance to work with him extensively now. What in the world is that like for Bunny Hearts to be able to play and jam with some of her musical heroes?
0: It is like, I still to this day, I'm just like, is this real? are we is this real life (laughs) Uh you know i i ask the rugged sometimes is this for real are we really are we really like jamming with like brown mark the brown mark from prince in the revolution and Mm -hmm. so and so super like just uh you know anticipating and nervous like while you're sitting there in front of the camera and like four three two and you're like "Ah!" and then you just go and I'm I'm playing, and they just just try your best and not think about it. And so it was just like it was just pure adrenaline, and mm-hmm. and 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 it sounded so good, you know. And they couldn't sync up the um, you know the video, but um, it just sounded so good. You just like fueled by all that. And then um, yeah, I'm just really honored and grateful to be even considered to be in the company to say that like, you know, I've written for Mark Brandmark or Mark's written for me or we collaborate together. It's just wow. like uh, it's a total honor. I'm like not even, you know, like, I couldn't have imagined it to this day. Like, if you told me in high school that I was gonna be working with that guy right there, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: right next to Prince, I would've been like, oh, come on, get out of here.
1: Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, you you must have thought it into existence. I have a friend that's uh, been on the show, uh, DJ Rashida. Um, she was a DJ for Prince. And before that happened, she was telling her friends, it's like, look, I'm going to be his DJ. And yeah. she just spoke it into existence. And in hindsight, her friends said to her playfully, well, you must have known something. And she said... <laughs> Well, really I didn't, I, 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 I mean, I just spoke it into existence and, and it happened for her. So sometimes that's powerful. It can, yeah, it's very powerful and yeah. you have to see it to believe it. And so I, I just want to know from that experience, I mean, that, that, that was a rush. And you know, for those that are privy enough to see it, I mean, I, I think you should take that in because y'all sounded really amazing. I mean, it sounded oh, like man. y'all had been playing together for years. And Thank given that you. you were so many miles apart, uh, yeah. y'all was on point. I mean, the, the the timing was sharp and crisp. It was just absolutely amazing.
0: Brown oh, Mark was like, um, he is an amazing, you know, uh, musical director because you know he also puts together the music for the Revolution when they go on tour. So, uh, so he's he's very very talented, very super uh, dope on on instruments and arranging and writing, and people don't know this about him. And I hope that uh, a lot more people will get to see that in the in the future.
1: Well, you have. So I, I want to talk about another uh, uh, famous star of the, uh, the <laughs> that you're jamming with in just a second. We're going to talk about your music in just a sec as well, but people don't know little tidbits like that bunny hart yeah. cuz you you're on i mean you you see a side of him that the rest of us will never ever experience and we know him for doing one thing and one thing only and that's playing that bass but what yeah. you just said is very important a lot of musicians play multiple instruments like the rugged plays multiple instruments and i'm mm-hmm. sure he probably dabble in other instruments besides just mm-hmm. keyboards.
0: well but, i have to also give him I, I please forgive me the rugged but he plays okay. keys and as far as funk keyboards, I probably um, absorbed over 50% of my keyboard skills from him because we worked together so much. So I have to give him the props as well for keyboards.
1: Well, look at that. The rugged <laughs> His influence is imminent. So what did you pick up from Brown Mark's uh, other uh, instrument styles in terms of his uh, song structure and the way he puts a song together? and Yeah. What did you pick up from him a- around that?
0: Oh, a lot and, and just give you an example of like when, um, you know, when we're writing a song or we're looking at a song and, um, and, uh, and we'll share some songs together and I'll give him something and it's just like harder when we've discussed it before. He's like, you know what, Bunny, it's harder when you have a chord structure song. There's no melody or nothing. Uh, no, you don't have a concept. So now you're the person that wrote this, this structure. It's hard for you to come up with a melody because that's not how some people work. So for, try this, have a melody or a hook in your brain and then work backwards, you know? Mm. Uh, and then once you have like, okay, you know, cause for me, I'm a musician. So I'm playing with, okay, I'm, I'm in a key of, let's say E flat okay, E flat, I'm going to go to, you know, E flat, and then I'm going to go to the B minor seven, and then I'm going to go to, let's say, D minor seven. So that's my chord structure. So then now I have the beat behind it. Now I have a song, right? So Mm -hmm. now I have to come up with lyrics, it's hard. So he said, do it backwards. Um, Have a melody, sing it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it. So, like, that's very catchy right and so now write the music around it and so when i did that that uh strategy it sure was easier for me so i really mean, like uh, this things like that, that i never thought of before strategy uh, like for somebody like him who written he's written a lot of songs you know he's written for chico de barge people probably doesn't don't that's even know Right. Yeah. Um, yeah and um some other people but um mm-hmm. and uh so he's a really great songwriter and I pick his brain all the time and he gives me pointers. He gives us pointers on uh on the on studio and like here, here's how to raise the volume or whatever. So yeah, he's definitely like very, very adept in the
1: studio. Wow. Yeah. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Well, um, there's something about the uh the basic and I, I don't know what it is that um I'm a Virgo. I mean, that may have something to do with the way <laughs> I think. My wife is a Virgo. That may have something to do with the way she thinks. Virgos yeah. are sometimes known for overthinking things. And I'm ah. wondering to what degree musicians experience that when they try to create something and it's it's not a natural, smooth progression into it. You know what I mean? I mean, it sounds like yeah. what Brown Mark gave you was sort of simplifying the approach to songwriting thinking that it doesn't have to be that complex because you're you're trained. I mean, you know chords, you know progressions, you know key signatures, you Mm -hmm. can sight read. And so it's easy to understand how somebody who has such a deep theoretical background would want to naturally bring that sophistication into songwriting because we have experience through the people you mentioned on this one, Joe Sample, uh, Chick Korea, Herbie Hancock. I mean, we experience masters, George Duke, And so we're never going to just come out the gate playing like that. And so being able to come up with a melody like you just sang a nice little cute little melody. Mm -hmm. And he taught you to just do that and put Mm -hmm. the chords around that. Yeah, it's just
0: another strategy when when you're having a block, you know, sometimes you just have a Mm. block and uh, switch it up.
1: That would explain a lot to me in terms of why we only get one album from great artists like Lauren Hill, or it takes so many years oh, to yeah. get material from a D'Angelo, because maybe I, I mean I don't know I'm not in their heads and I'm certainly not the caliber of musician that they are, but yeah, it, it's I wonder what gets in the way and what blocks the flow of creativity. Is it because it's you're afraid of your past successes. You're intimidated that what you're coming up with now in the moment is not yeah. good enough.
0: I think it's multifactorial. You you, you you touched on all that. I think, you know, people, mm. uh, it's it, the, the success that uh, they've reached is so phenomenal that right. they the things that they do, it, it's just not, you know, they they don't feel will measure up probably. You know, I think that's part of it. Yeah. And part of it is like, yeah, the process, the process is hard. writing songs, yeah, sometimes the songs come like flawlessly. Like the other day when I wrote, like you know, one of my songs, um somebody listen for this album that's uh, out, um, mm. it came out flawlessly because I was feeling it, you know, I was, mm. I was really emotionally invested in that emotion that so please somebody listen, you know, like right. or don't okay to see that we're just. Brothers, trying to shield our little brothers from the monsters. Can't you see mm. that we're just, you know, mothers pleading for our sons and daughters? And so when mm. I wrote it and sang it, I did it in one night, you know. But mm. then you have this one other song that's just sitting in my hard drive. Just I just cannot do anything to it. It's beautiful. More mm. progression, but right. <laughs> You know, it just it just really depends on um, musicians are are you know a breed. You just gotta
3: wait till it comes yo yo what's up everybody this is your man eric rico and you're currently in tune to psychotic bump school with your host dj rome on kcwg the best internet radio station on the planet
1: This is KCWG, Truth.com's Program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and uh, we're chatting with the amazing Bunny Hart. She's breaking down the process and the approach to to just songwriting. And uh, she has an amazing project that is on its way out, and uh, she's played with some of the best that we've ever spoken about on this show, for sure, from uh, the Purple... uh, you know conglomerate oh let me get the word out with brown mark and um you had the privilege i'm told to work with another stellar stellar musician uh (laughs) what can you tell us about how you came in contact with the legendary guitarist jesse johnson and how you became his touring keyboard player miss bunny hearts
0: Oh my gosh, that just doesn't even sound right when you just said that to me.
1: <laughs> I'm talking about, you.
0: I'm talking about is it, you. Is this real life? No.
1: Yes, it's real. Uh, it's real yes, we yeah, are.
0: yeah. Well, oh, I met. <laughs> I, I met Jesse, the uh, Mr. Johnson, like in 2013, I believe, yeah. um, and uh, we were performing. Official Biz was performing at this really great venue called uh, Report in Rancho Cucamonga, and he was one of the guests. Um, performers that came through and um i was so silly and ignorant you know i wasn't even drunk or anything because i really don't (laughs) do that but um they they uh the rugged said come here bunny. come here i said yeah hey here this is jesse jesse meet bunny i said hey jesse nice to meet you okay so (laughs) the rug is like wait this is Jesse Johnson. And I looked and I said, oh my God. And so the freak the freak out started. And so mm-hmm. that's when I first met him. And then fast forward, um, he needed a keyboard player um, for his tour in Japan. I think somebody backed out. And so um, the Rugged, uh, you know, he, he reached out to the Rugged and he said, yeah, Bunny can do it. So long story short, I went to Japan. We did a whole, um, you know, show in Osaka and um, two shows in Osaka and two shows in um, Tokyo. And
1: wow. it was amazing, amazing. I wanna know how, I mean, I know of a Japanese band called Osaka Monorail that's pretty popular over there and they love them some Osaka Monorail over there. They're a straight up Japanese funk band, but they oh, don't, yeah. they play American funk. They play James Brown type funk. So oh, wow. you, how would you describe the reception you received once you were over in Osaka with? jesse johnson's been
0: oh my goodness uh the people are warm uh they're very uh fanatic over jesse uh of course you know uh they showed up with vinyl uh, holding it up right. you, you had you had women all of different ages i mean from young to older just wanting to touch you know, touch him like right there in the front and just like I mean, it was back in the day still, you know? And um, I was at the, you know, at the kind of like the way my keyboard was situated and, and when Jesse was coming out, I was kind of worried because they bum-rushed him. And luckily we had um, our one of the crew like kind of paid away. So it's still, people go crazy over uh, Jesse, uh, especially in Japan. They love, they love that music and they were singing it, you know, like it was yesterday. Like songs like, you know, I want my girl, Mm -hmm. uh you know be my man they knew all the words to it it was amazing
1: wow because i've seen him three times i told the rugged this last week i've seen him a few times and um one time i saw him was uh the hollywood palace i think i forgot to mention that before i saw him at the hollywood palace and he had a full lineup but in recent years he's sort of pared down to just this serious power trio, where it was just himself, a bass player and a drummer. Now adding you on keys, uh, how much room did you have to play those keyboard parts? How much freedom did you have to take a solo if you ever needed to? Uh, how would you describe the, the range of your musicality that you experienced while you were playing keyboards with him?
0: Um, I, you know what, people will really trip out that Jesse Johnson is such a gentleman and so nice and sweet, like at rehearsal, it's like, here, Benny, like, can you, okay, I hear that, what you're doing there. Can you do like a harmony on that so that it's not like an octave? And so it's like, you mean like this? It's like, oh yeah, so he knows exactly what he wants. And so I, I, I may be doing like a super funky like clap or whatever, it's like, okay, that's too busy. Take that out. All right, now I want you to do a solo here, you know, on the bridge, a piano solo that's uh, you know, so he's very specific in what he wants. Don't want you to play here, you know. So he's an artist. He knows his, you know, his, his junk. He knows his stuff. Right. And he knows exactly how he wants it played. And I delivered it. And, and then after the show in the Saifan, Japan, Japan, in Tokyo, I, it was so nice. He was like, you killed it, girl. And I said,
1: oh
0: my God. And it was just like super nice the whole time. And you know, like I was the only girl in the band, you know, I was like very apprehensive. And everybody Mm. was like just so, so nice and made me comfortable. And it it was just a great experience. I just like feel like they're going to be my big bros for life.
1: Wow. Jesse Johnson told you. I remember um, I met uh, Rafael Sadiq one night at uh, Club Zanzibar when Zanzibar was in Santa Monica down there uh, by, by the beach in Southern California. I'm in Northern California now. And oh, okay. uh, I did my set and he just happened to be there. And uh, he was near the front door, just chopping it up, you know, real uh-huh. cat. And uh, I said, hey, what's up, man? He shook his hand, shook my hand. He said, hey, man, you was up there jamming. I'm like, whoa, thanks, Sadiq. Well- <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I didn't know I was all that. But yeah, I, I took that in. And wow, what a stellar
0: moment nice.
1: I mean, you're in rarefied air because I'm trying to think of all the the keyboardists that have come through uh, the Paisley world. The keyboardists that have played with him, a couple that come to mind are is the great St. Paul, Paul Peterson, uh, Lisa Coleman, obviously. uh, Yes, Mark Mark Cadenas might be another one. Uh, You are in rarefied air as a woman who could really get down on those keyboards. So. Props oh my to you.
0: Thank Props you.
1: to you. You are doing something right. And, uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, you're doing something right. And uh, on that continuum, you have some amazing music that you're putting out right now. Yes. Uh, what can you tell us about this latest amazing project that you're going to be dropping upon the world in a very short order?
0: Oh, yeah. I think by the time this airs, it'll be out and um, available. Um, it's called Official um, Biz Presents Bunny Hearts. So we decided not to call it like a song title like everyone else and we just wanted to really introduce us to the world and so it's official biz presents funny hearts and it's a seven song compilation and it has two instrumental uh jazz type songs that i'm really proud of called one it's called two-faced and it's called two-faced because i you know as you know a classical pianist i had to insert my classical um you know licks in there and it's like uh and then it it just flips over into this super funk Mm. you know synth solo so it's like it it flips back and forth so it's like a psycho girlfriend that goes back and forth so we called it two-faced um (laughs) and then uh the other instrumental is called streets of osaka so uh when i was putting it together um, it really reminded me of Osaka when I was walking through the streets of Osaka where uh, it's super funky, the vibe. People love American music. Mm. Honk, funk, funk, and street it's just... Uh, but it's also beautiful and clean and everybody was just uh, courteous. It's just a beautiful city. Um, and then five vocal songs on there. Uh, mm-hmm. One is called Drinks On Me. Uh, Drinks On Me is like a, a stepping song. So I'm going to do a, uh, you know, by this time, probably, I don't know when it's going to air, we're going to do a um, a promotion where we're going to do a uh, contest for whoever can come up with the best step to the song, and we're going to give a cash prize to the winner, and we're going to feature all the participants in the video stepping to the song, Drinks on Me. Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: And nice if man. you heard it, it's very, very, uh, like, um, you know, that... R. Kelly step five with a little modern twist, yeah. And then uh, the song called Baby O'Damn is also reminiscent of Teddy Riley and uh, Jimmy Dam and Terry Lewis where there's a lot of Stravinsky hits, you know, so Mm. uh, some people say, oh, this feels like 90s. Yeah, we by design we want it, but we gave it um, some modern drums, you know, some uh, in Mm. the background. So we're trying to insert, all the old music in there because we feel that it's important nowadays i mean not to knock anything but like we it feels good but then we want to make it also modern and uh Mm. a couple of other songs and i think that um it touches upon a lot of stuff that uh and then somebody listen like i told you somebody listen is about it's a social consciousness song about yeah it's uh, inequality and it's just can somebody please listen and um Ooh. And then elevation is one that we uh, we put together. Well, like I said, with my um, co bandmate mate, um, who's also a great producer, Grammy-nominated um, Doc Spanks, Elevation mm. that is a, a a song that really um, got a lot of attention, even from industry people who wanted to take it. And so uh, wow. I, it's a, it's a a really good song, and I wanted to include it.
1: wow beautiful i'm excited for you um this project is is you know we we're on monday evening program so uh i'm thinking we're we're gonna be right on time when this one hits uh concurrence with the 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 release of your project um baby Odam and uh all the players that you've been playing with all these years official biz uh this is going to be an amazing listening experience for those that pick it up um Uh Yeah, I How so. can people get this project? How can yes. they find you? Keep in touch. What are the particulars, Miss Bunny Hearts?
0: Yes, yeah, so um, you can get it from so uh, bunnyhearts.hearnow.com. So that's bunnyhearts.h-e-a-r-n-o-w.com. So that is like a link to um, several links, like for example, if you have Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, it just goes straight to my page and it gives you straight links on whichever player you have and you can stream download the song. And if that's too difficult to remember, just go to my Facebook or Instagram, which is Bunny Hearts Music. That's the uh, uh, username for all that uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, it's uh, all Bunny Hearts Music.
1: Absolutely. Sounds like you're walking into the studio right now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, well, that's great. We'll we'll be sure to put that up. And uh, before we let you go, just some tips for growth for all the young uh, keyboardists out there who want to become uh, really seasoned with their instrument. and oh, yeah. craft And uh, tips for growth for young ladies that want to get into this business, knowing that men tend to dominate this area that you're in and doing well oh, yeah. in, kicking the yeah. men butts as a matter yes.
0: of <laughs> very much.
1: Um, tips for growth. What can you tell the, uh, the young musicians on the rise who are listening to you right now?
0: Oh, well, you know, several, several tips. Uh, the number one thing that I would say is you do you if uh, I used to be guilty of this. I try to compare myself to awesome people that I probably wouldn't measure up to because they have a different background, you know, mm. um, it, you know, you have different musicians who just like pick up or, you know, like they'll play a certain style that groove or that, that, uh, you know, R&B or that gospel. You know, well, that's not you. You're a classical pianist. Like, do you until you can get to that point, uh, uh, you know, uh, capitalize on your strengths and be who you are and surround yourself with people who are awesome at what you want to do. And so I did, I surrounded myself with super dope musicians and I absorbed either through osmosis or just bugging the, the heck out of them to like, hey, how do you do this? How did you do that? And then the last thing is there's no shortcut. You have to practice, practice, practice. Yeah, um, so that's just mm-hmm. basically, I think the, the main things.
1: Absolutely, that, that's some great stuff. Uh, we had a keyboardist here out of Detroit, producer, multi-instrumentalist, Instrumentalist that is Piranha Head. Uh, he plays with P Funk a lot over in Detroit. Oh. He's got a new track out with uh, the French singing duo Les Nubian right now. Oh, wow. He the same thing. He, he picked wow. the brains of musicians. He picked Bernie Worrell's brain and yeah. he was asking him some really challenging questions about uh, some theory and chord progression. And he said, Bernie told him, hey, bruh, you might want to go into school for that. And <laughs> meaning, uh, exactly what you just said. There there are no shortcuts and people yeah. can tell you uh, what they do. But if you want to grow through this, you're going to have to apply yourself. And like you said, do you and be unapologetic about it. Be unapologetically you. This is exactly. my sound. This is what I can do today. And no, I'm not going to just come out the shoot just playing like Patrice Russian or Alicia Keys or Herbie yeah. Hancock. I'm just not going to yeah. do that. I'm not going to be Stevie Wonder the first time I do this. But the sound I make today is the best that I can produce today. Do that.
0: Until be- you can get to the point where you are them exactly. and, and, you, and you wake up and you're like, wow, I, you know, uh, there are certain things that I can do that even my peers can't do.
1: There, there you go. That's the whole thing <laughs> right there. So Bunny Hearts, nobody can do it like you. Once again, give us your contacts where we can find this album and keep in touch with you one more time.
0: Okay, Bunny Hearts Music on all the uh, social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and the link for, this, for the new album, which is Official Biz Presents Bunny Hearts is bunnyhearts.hearnow.com.
4: This is Enjoy on Saks, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWG thetruth.com, best internet radio on the planet.
1: Yes, yes, y'all. The class of 2020 has had to endure some amazing, incredible, unprecedented adversity in order to get to this point. But they are graduates. They are our future. And we want to make sure that we honor them as they go forward with the rest of their days and lives. And to help us have that amazing address, I want to feature a couple of clips that happened over the weekend. Uh, First, we're going to be listening to actor and spoken word artist. I don't know if people knew that he was a spoken word artist, but actor from the TV show Power, Omari Hardwick, dropped a very rousing spoken word piece to the class of 2020 for HBCU. So we're going to be checking that out. And I am very excited to uh, play the clip from our former president and our forever president, number 44, Barack Obama. So ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for more. Let's listen to these addresses for the amazing class of 2020.
5: Dearest class of 2020. This was only a test of you letting go and letting God reinvent your sheep. You are the class of which no prior years could ever compete. So alas, take off your shoes, show your bruised feet, and show me your walk into destiny. And no need to talk that talk, leave that all to prophecy. No more legacy outline and chalk for the cops to see. HBCU or the rest of me, the parts that I've yet to chart the best of me, and your day on the stage is not in vain or in dark. It is all light, it is all right. Kendrick Lamar, the letter C, look how far you came since 2017. And yea, though we walk stunted by ghosts in our steps, I offer most this precept. We shall fear no harm, for thou art with me and you, arm in arm, with a battle cry heard. Ring the alarm like it's your beat day, say word. There is more to the house Benjamin e made, when doctors to king stay aboard to aid, O oh my lord. We have made it through the storm, but there are so many more hard days in store. So many more Felicia Rashard to chains the soar, to Raji P's to who gave until their amethyst rocked the floor to the street, show me your walk to you kicking the door to a biggie beat, waving your four four like a big degree, and I dare you not be cavalier with your brawn and let me feel your heat. To your Anika Noni Rose grew through the concrete Like a poet Sir Lancelot in his flows With some gross as nasty as Nas mixed with an O and Erica B Show me your walk and all the trashy flaws in your bebop The daddy's lost the Rolling Stones and Reeboks Show me it all, like I'm home and your walk is the only thing for me to watch Until I become a stalker of your a thousand dreams come true Your Alice Walker walking with a walker Until your feet are colored purple, black and blue Let me feel the shaklack clack -clack in your shoe, the Roberta flack in your badoo. The first time I ever saw your face like the first time ever I saw your face. And this is the first time ever crossed no stage, so make it count. Full armor out, no robe, no tassel to dismount. Just the rock him and your mom and them to figure it out. You are thinking of a master plan. This ain't nothing but sweat inside your hand. Show me your walk. Show me how you will get your masters and how to stand back straight, shoulders up, head high. Mastering, I can so I will until my Sam still reaches the sky. With some Jackson and Braxton in my steering wheel and I'll tell you why. My belief in me be my shield and yea though you walk through valleys of glass shard fields, you... Must count it all joy that your class is the first to be asked to build your Oprahs out of this level of hocus pocus. This is only a test conducted by God to test your focus. I believe there is a remedy for COVID. I believe you are the closest. HBCU, what a ghost, kid. Class of 2020 vision, you are fully noticed a Wilberforce force of the hour, Morgan all the way to the source of Howard, to Hampton where I would never have gotten to show the world my power if my grandpas didn't both attend in the 40s, more so like the Twin Towers, there would be no Omari. there would be no glory from this pen and story I consider ours, like, you be mine, because we are one, and one of a kind, you are the sun to my shine, the present is the present, but you have become the future before it's time, like you from the A the Pablo Neruda to my Benjamin, the Donnie to my Hathaway, you have become a friend of mine in just this short amount of time. The sound of your walk now music to my ears and mine. And no more broken vinyl. Let's break some new records with a full on effort. No more iffy. Show me your easy like Sunday morning Lionel to We Richie, TSU to Winfrey, HBCU is in me, brothers Jamil's to Kenny's, grandma's, uncles, aunts, and cousins still attending, fam you to Tuskegee to Clark. Bands hitting so hard you can see their feet in the dark. Show me your walk with a fisk in the air and an afro pick in your Xavier. Tell them spell me up in here. From AT to Lincoln to Winston Salem, we've lost some cheers, but we are winning and trading in the fears. Now close your eyes again and pray this here, that as you show your family and friends even through your pretend walk across the vision of a stage that remains this year, that when you open them, God is sitting right there with that same pick in his hair, with the letters HBCU written across his chair, clapping and kicking while he cheers, every one of you,
3: magna cum lord. Hi, everybody. Congratulations to HBCU class of 2020. Michelle and I are so proud of you, but these aren't normal times. You're being asked to find your way in a world in the middle of a devastating pandemic and a terrible recession. The timing is not ideal. And let's be honest, a disease like this just spotlights the underlying inequalities and extra burdens that black communities have historically had to deal with in this country. We see it in the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on our communities. Just as we see it when a black man goes for a jog and some folks feel like they can stop and question and shoot him if he doesn't submit to their questioning. Injustice like this isn't new. What is new is that so much of your generation has woken up to the fact that the status quo needs fixing. That the old ways of doing things don't work. And that it doesn't matter how much money you make if everyone around you is hungry and sick. That our society and our democracy only works when we think not just about ourselves, but about each other. More than anything, this pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. If the world's gonna get better, it's gonna be up to you with everything suddenly feeling like it's up for grabs. This is your time to seize the initiative. Nobody can tell you anymore that you should be waiting your turn. Nobody can tell you anymore this is how it's always been done. More than ever, this is your moment, your generation's world to shape. In taking on this responsibility, I hope you are bold. I hope you have a vision that isn't clouded by cynicism or fear. As young African-Americans, you've been exposed earlier than some to the world as it is, but as young HBCU grads, your education has also shown you the world as it ought to be. Many of you could have attended any school in this country, but you chose an HBCU, specifically because it would help you sow seeds of change. You chose to follow in the fearless footsteps of people who shook the system to its core. Civil rights icons like Thurgood Marshall and Dr. King. Storytellers like Toni Morrison and Spike Lee. You chose to study medicine at Meharry and engineering at NCAT and t because you want to lead and serve. And I'm here to tell you, you made a great choice. Whether you realize it or not, You've got more roadmaps, more role models, more resources, than the civil rights generation did. You've got more tools, technology, and talents than my generation did. No generation has been better positioned to be warriors for justice and remake the world. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do with all that power that's in your hands. Many of you are already using it so well to create change. But let me offer three pieces of advice as you continue on your journey. First, make sure you ground yourself in actual communities, with real people, working whenever you can at the grassroots level. The fight for equality and justice begins with awareness, empathy, passion, even righteous anger. But don't just activate yourself online. Change requires strategy, action, organizing, marching, and voting in the real world like never before. No one's better positioned than this class of graduates to take that activism to the next level. And from tackling health disparities to fighting for criminal justice and voting rights, so many of you are already doing this. Keep on going. Second, you can't do it alone. Meaningful change requires allies in common cause. As African Americans, we are particularly attuned to injustice, inequality, and struggle. But that also should make us more alive to the experiences of others who've been left out and discriminated against. So rather than just say what's in it for me or what's in it for my community and to heck with everyone else, stand up for and join up with everyone who's struggling, whether it's immigrants, refugees, the rural poor, the LGBT community, low-income workers of every background, women who so often are subject to their own discrimination and burdens and not getting equal pay for equal work, look out for folks whether they are white or black or Asian or Latino or Native American. As Fannie Lou Hamer once said, nobody's free until everybody's free. And on the big unfinished goals in this country, like economic and environmental justice and healthcare for everybody, broad majorities agree on the ends. That's why folks with power will keep trying to divide you over the means. That's how nothing changes. You get a system that looks out for the rich and the powerful and nobody else. So expand your moral imaginations, build bridges, grow your allies in the process of bringing about a better world. And finally, as HBCU graduates, you have to remember that you are inheritors of one of America's proudest traditions, which means you're all role models now, whether you like it or not. Your participation in this democracy, your courage to stand up for what's right, your willingness to forge coalitions, these actions will speak volumes. And if you're inactive, that will also speak volumes not just to the young folks coming up behind you but to your parents your peers and the rest of the country they need to see your leadership you're the folks we've been waiting for to come along that's the power you hold the power to shine brightly for justice and for equality and for joy you've earned your degree It's now up to you to use it. So many of us believe in you. I'm so proud of you. And as you set out to change the world, we'll be the wind at your back. So congratulations, class of 2020. God bless all of you.
1: our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of Funk and Soul, my name is DJ Rome. I want to thank you for joining us this evening. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our guests for the evening, James Porter, Sharon Harris, and of course, Bunny Hearts. Also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.